Hi everyone, Dan Cassidy here. Welcome to the Washington Weekly Podcast on the UBS In The Now podcast channel. Our conversation today will touch on reflections on this week's inauguration of Joe Biden as the 46th President of the United States of America and several executive orders that followed, along with a look at the new dynamic of the Senate, the road ahead for further fiscal stimulus, and more. I am glad to welcome back to the podcast Shane Lieberman, Federal Affairs Manager with the UBS U.S. Office of Public Policy in Washington, D.C. So, Shane, as always, it's great to be with you on the podcast. Happy Friday and looking forward to our conversation. Great to be back with you, Dan. So, Shane, I know as we discussed last week, this week's inauguration of President Biden was like no other, though, of course, there were some powerful and memorable moments to highlight. What were some reflections from your vantage point from Wednesday, Shane, that you can share with us and any highlights as well of President Trump's Joint Base Andrews farewell address? Yeah, no, it was a a very different inauguration. You know, it still had um, a lot of the pageantry of other inaugurations, but it was uh, downplayed a little bit, Um, you know, obviously for a variety of reasons, you know, coronavirus requiring social distancing and um, the the attack on the Capitol on January 6th, you know, put most of the city into a lockdown, which uh, kept out crowds from uh, this inauguration. But you saw a lot of the hallmarks, um, you know, uh, this time, President Trump, he left uh, the White House just after 8 a.m. Uh, on the hel- on Marine One, the helicopter, and went to Andrews Air Force Base, where he gave a nine-minute speech to supporters before uh, boarding Air Force One and heading off to uh, Florida. Um, that is, you know, a break from tradition. You know, uh, for the past 150 years or so, every uh, president has been there for their su- successors, uh, inauguration, uh, but it's not unheard of for this to uh, ever happen. Um, but, you know, so this mo- that morning, instead of uh, the president and president-elect going to church together, then president-elect Biden went to church with um, congressional leaders, uh, and then, you know, everyone went to the Capitol, where it was uh, a day filled with, you know, um, trying to bring unity and inspiration to the country. I think Uh, One of the highlights that most people really enjoyed was uh, the young poet Amanda Gorman and her poetry. Um, I believe Amazon is now sold out of her book. Um, So, you know, I think that was a definite highlight. Um, You know, uh, President Biden is getting a lot of praise for his uh, speech. Uh, You've seen some people say this is the best uh, inaugural speech they've ever heard, you know, in uh, in person or, you know, Versus going back to someone who gave one, you know, 100 years ago when they weren't alive for, um, you know, and then, of course, you know, you had the parade and, and some of the pageantry that's more normal. I think um, personal highlight for me was the fireworks and I, I love a good fireworks show. So that was pretty great to see. Definitely. Well, there were a lot of memorable moments, as you pointed out for us, Shane. So thank you for those highlights and reflections. And I understand that President Biden did hit the ground running, so to speak, with executive orders. And that's common practice for new presidents. I recall President Trump did likewise four years ago. But I'm curious, Shane, what has President Biden addressed over the past couple of days and what's to come near term? Yeah. Well, actually, and also let me point out that President Biden went to Arlington um, Cemetery with former Presidents Obama, Bush, 
and Clinton. That was a very nice bipartisan moment. But after he did that, he went back to the White House and went to work, as you noted, um, on Wednesday alone. I think he signed uh, 17 executive orders getting to work. Um, most of them actually dealt with environmental issues. You know, he's committed to getting uh, the U.S. back into the Paris uh, Climate Agreement. You know, he has uh, rescinded the Keystone XL pipeline. Um, and, you know, you saw a bunch of other things, you know, whether it be on, on immigration uh, or uh, things related to uh, coronavirus, obviously, being a hot topic. Um, and I would also mention that um, he continued um, to Trump policies of um, uh, forbearance for student loans and also a moratorium on evictions. You know, so those those uh, are some of the highlights. But you definitely see uh, the Biden administration hitting the ground running and working uh, in overtime right now to tr- try and get as much as they can done in, in the opening hours and days of his uh, presidency. Yeah. And it sounds like more executive orders might come as well in the next few days. I heard this morning that he might be signing two today, Friday, so more to keep an eye out for. But that Arlington ceremony you pointed out, Shane, that was very special to see. I did see on LinkedIn a picture of former presidents Obama, Bush and Clinton all in one frame. And that's always pretty powerful to see those presidents come together for these circumstances. So I do want to follow up. I know late last year we did spend some time talking about President Biden's cabinet pick. So I'm curious, as of today, Shane, uh, what the status is on those confirmation processes. I know it's critical that these appointments are confirmed quickly, and I'm sure President Biden is anxious to get his cabinet in place. Yes, as of the moment you and I are speaking right now, only one cabinet official has been approved by the Senate. That's Avril Haines, who's the position of uh, Director of National Intelligence. Um, I would expect today, on Friday, that um, um, the Senate will approve um, a general, former General Lloyd uh, Austin, um, who is uh, President Biden's pick to lead the Department of Defense. Um, you know, he had to be first given a waiver because he has uh, served in the military within seven years. And, um, you know, there's that, that clause is in place to try and keep the leadership of the department of defense, uh, to be civilians. Um, but you know, they are, the Senate is moving along with hearings on other nominees like, uh, Tony Blinken for secretary of state. Janet Yellen had hearings, uh, and she's obviously the nominee for department of treasury. So they are, uh, the Senate is moving along a little bit slowly right now. Um, and I think, you know, it remains to be seen, will they pick up the pace or not, you know, because of the impeachment trial looming over the Senate and also still uh, Senator Schumer and McConnell working out um, the rules of the Senate in this 50-50 landscape. You know, it, it still is a, li- a little bit of a slog. Hopefully it'll it'll pick up a little bit. That's a perfect segue, Shane. I'm curious, what do you anticipate that dynamic working relationship of Chuck Schumer and Mitch McConnell to consist of with this 50-50 split? You think back to some 20 years ago, days of Tom Daschle, Trent Lott, similar circumstance. So what do you see getting worked out? Yeah, I think that the parameters of the 2001 agreement will will hold uh, for the new power sharing agreement. But, you know, there probably will be changes. You see Mitch McConnell trying to get guarantees that the filibuster won't erode 
I think the reality is is that filibuster isn't going away with uh, a few Democratic senators uh, who want to keep it in place. But uh, Mitch McConnell is trying to get that in writing, which uh, Schumer does not want to commit to. So they're they're still working through it. I think, you know, the reality is, and to be quite frank, the, the relationship between Chuck Schumer and Mitch McConnell is not great. And the um, example I use to prove that um, and, and demonstrate to people about what a frosty relationship it is, is remember Mitch McConnell's wife, Elaine Chow, was just the Secretary of Transportation. Um, when the Senate voted on her nomination in 2017, it was overwhelmingly bipartisan. Um, she got over 90 votes, and I think it was only six no votes. Um, and Chuck Schumer was one of those no votes. So, I mean, you know, think of it from the perspective of you know, 100 of your peers are voting on your spouse, and the one that you're supposed to work with is one of the six that voted no. Uh, that's That shows you where their relationship is. And, and it's unfortunate because, you know, um, how bipartisan that vote was for Elaine Chow it has, you know, the outcome is, you know, something that's in the back of Mitch McConnell's head and, you know, something that led Chuck Schumer to do that in the first place, that you don't have a uh, stellar relationship between the two. But I will say both of them are professionals and um, masters at their job. Um, so they'll figure it out. But, you know, uh, I, we shouldn't fool ourselves and think that there's a rosy relationship between the two of them. Well, that is an interesting point you brought up about Elaine Chow. I did not know that, but hopefully Chuck and Mitch can put aside their differences for the sake of having a productive working relationship, as you pointed out, between uh, the confirmation process, but also a legislative agenda. Uh, the Senate has a full plate, so this would be a good time to pick back up on that fiscal relief package we had spoken about last week. It was outlined by then-President-elect Biden, again, very robust, some $1.9 trillion. Now, with this new government in place, Shane. Where does that all stand as of today? Yeah, the stimulus package is not in a good place at the moment. Um, you're seeing even moderate Republicans pause and not uh, be supportive of it. Um, for example, uh, Susan Collins of Maine, who is usually one of the first to cross the aisle um, in these situations, um, you know, gave some reflection of, um, you know, why should I support that when we just passed a $900 billion package last month? You know, let's let's see where the need is first kind of thing. So I think a lot of Republicans are thinking that's too big when we, we don't even know yet where the need is or they feel like they don't know where the need is. Um, I don't think they're arguing that there is no need left. Um, some may be. So, you know, I think this this is going to be, as we've discussed before, you know, that $1.9 trillion is probably more of a starting point for negotiations, and it's likely to come down for it to pass. Um, you know, and of course, there still is the option that Democrats could try and move this via budget reconciliation, uh, where they would just need a simple majority. But uh, we have to keep in mind not, that not everything in this $1.9 trillion can be put into a budget reconciliation bill because of the parameters that... Um, decide what can and cannot be in a budget reconciliation bill. So, you know, one example of something that cannot be in this is the, incre the increase to $15 an hour in minimum wage. That is not um, allowed under the, the construct of budget reconciliation. While an example of something that would be allowed is uh, the additional stimulus checks to Americans um, 
to true up that $600 uh, from last month up to $2,000. So it would be a $1,400 payment. Um, so there's a, a lot um, to, to play out here. Um, you know, I think something right now, you know, probably gets across the finish line eventually, but it's going to take a, uh, a little bit longer than uh, originally anticipated. And I think it'll be scaled back from what you're hearing uh, discussed right now. Okay, so more to come. As always, I know the fiscal relief package, very important. So we'll continue to track this very closely. Shane, thank you for your time and insight today. Appreciate your reflections on what was a historic and memorable week in our nation's capital, along with look at what the new Biden administration already has in motion. So looking forward to continuing our conversation on the Washington Weekly Podcast next week. Great. Thanks, Dan. Uh, Have a great weekend. I look forward to catching up with you next week. Likewise, Shane. Appreciate it. And again, today we have been joined by Shane Lieberman, Federal Affairs Manager with the UBS U.S. Office of Public Policy in Washington, D.C. As a reminder to our clients and listeners, please be sure to reference the latest edition of the Washington Weekly Publication, which can be located on UBS.com forward slash Washington Weekly. For clients of UBS, you can also contact your financial advisor if you would like to receive a copy of the Washington Weekly Publication directly. The Washington Weekly Podcast is part of the UBS In The Now podcast channel, which is available where podcasts are found, including on iTunes and Spotify. Visit UBS.com forward slash studios to view the entire podcast offering, as well as the new UBS trending video series. From UBS Studios, I'm Dan Cassidy. Thank you for joining us. As a firm providing wealth management services to clients, UBS Financial Services, Inc. offers investment advisory services in its capacity as an SEC-registered investment advisor and brokerage services in its capacity as an SEC-registered broker-dealer. Investment advisory services and brokerage services are separate and distinct, differ in material ways, and are governed by different laws and separate arrangements. It is important that clients understand the ways in which we conduct business, that they carefully read the agreements and disclosures that we provide to them about the products or services we offer. For more information, please review the PDF document at UBS.com forward slash relationship summary. UBS Financial Services, Inc. is a subsidiary of UBS AG, member FINRA SIPC.